This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. The NFL Combine is just a few weeks away. The NFL Draft process is in high gear. The rumors are running rampant. The buzz will continue to build with the Combine in a couple weeks. Then we have Pro Days. And then we get towards April where it's Lion season. And then we got free agency in the middle of there to kind of set the stage for what some teams might do. I think this year, if we do have some trades with teams, you know, jockeying for quarterbacks, I think that could come uh, sometime early March around free agency. Do we see Justin Fields moves, which is a dead giveaway then that Caleb Williams or some other quarterback is going number one to the Bears? Uh, Where does Kirk Cousins land? You know, that will impact the, the top of the draft as well, potentially, with the teams interested in quarterbacks. Same thing with who lands Justin Fields. So a lot of a lot of buzz out there, a lot of rumors out there. And it's the it's a it's a fun time of the year, right? To try to dissect. Like I, I would keep your your basically head on tight in terms of who you're listening to. Like, you know, rely on people who are well sourced, rely on people that have had inside scoops before. And, you know, you know you trust their sources. I know I have a very short list of people that I really look towards for rumors and, you know, uh, thoughts on prospects and, and what the league might be viewing them as. You know, I have a very short list, like five to eight people who I really focus in on at this time of the year to kind of make sense of all the rumors that are out there. And if it's just other noise out there on draft Twitter, I kind of tune it out. Uh, I consume as much as possible, but I kind of tune out sometimes the noise if we're not hearing it uh, from some people who I think are, are more in the know than, than other people. Uh, but right now, I think the strongest buzz, and it is building, and it has reached epic levels over the last week or two, is the buzz surrounding Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy. I've talked about him a lot during the college football season. I mentioned repeatedly during the year that I was not as high on him as some people. I was not as high on him as some people that I respected their evaluation and their evaluating eyes tremendously. I talked a lot about his traits. I talked a lot about his makeup. I talked a lot about what Michigan did and didn't ask him to do during the course of big football games. And I think that's what makes the the intrigue around J.J. McCarthy and the buzz around J.J. McCarthy, I think, as interesting as anything I remember at the quarterback position. Because on one hand, you have a guy that the data, the analytics the next level or next-gen type stats really show a high-level prospect from that regard. Add that to what will probably be one of the better athletic testers at the quarterback position at the Combine, arguably the second potentially best athletic 
quarterback in the draft not named if, after Jaden Daniels. I think McCarthy might have a better athletic package than Caleb Williams or even Drake May. I think they're all very athletic. But it, but it, possible that J.J. McCarthy has more athleticism than, than even Caleb and Drake May. He has the traits. He has the arm talent to make every throw. I've talked about that a lot. And then everything you hear about his ability in terms of understanding the game and and what he will be like on the whiteboard and his leadership and his charisma and his moxie, all stuff that, that get rave reviews. So right now, over the last, I would say, week or two, we've seen reports out there that team people in the league, executives in the league, scouts in the league, think he's much closer to the top three quarterbacks, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jane Daniels, than he is to the next tier, which is Bo Nix and Michael Panix. We've heard people compare him to basically if he played at a different school that put more on his plate, he could be Joe Burrow. We've heard that some teams potentially have him as the second quarterback on their board. We don't know if Caleb Williams is one, but potentially. There's been people in the draft Twitter community or the fantasy Twitter community whose opinion I respect put him ahead of Caleb Williams, ahead of Drake May, or ahead of Jaden Daniels at times, who've had him at number two or number three. I haven't seen him at number one on anybody yet, but I've seen him at two. I've seen him at three. Dame Brugler, who was probably the first to really be high on J.J. McCarthy since last summer, he put out his most recent up big board, and he had him at 24. So he likes him. But he still thinks he's he still thinks he's more of a late round one guy, even though he knows he's gonna get taken higher than that. He still doesn't have them anywhere near the level of Caleb Williams and Drake May, who he has near as his one two, and two, followed by Jane Daniels, who a couple, you know, as a number three, but all of those guys I think in his top six or so overall. So he's got JJ McCarthy as his fourth quarterback, but number twenty four overall, clear of, of Bo Nixon and Michael Panics. So all this buzz, all this, you know, opinions on J.J. McCarthy sent me back to say, okay, I got to watch a lot more film on this guy and see where I come away with it. And where I came away with it right now, and I don't really see this changing, I don't think anything at the Combine is going to make me change my tune here, is I like J.J. McCarthy. I never, I've never not liked them. I've liked his traits. But for me, I still can't put him at the Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Jaden Daniels level. To me, those guys still represent a clear separation from J.J. McCarthy in terms of their ability level, in terms of what they were asked to do at the college level, in terms of me feeling more comfortable about them in a, on a, in a bad situation, and what they could overcome, their size. A report came out today that said, you know, there are some people that look at J.J. McCarthy and think he's just a little bit longer of a, of a Bryce Young in terms of his frame. You know, very thin frame. Got to add to that for sure. So there's things that I like about J.J. McCarthy. I don't think I, until I rewatched him, and I've seen a lot of stuff over the last couple of weeks as well, 
I don't know if I gave him enough credit for his ability to play off structure, his ability to make second reaction plays, his ability to make plays with his arm, even when the play breaks down, his ability to throw on the run. I think those are all areas that I might have been a little bit lower on him when you just watch the the games on TV, and I didn't see any of that on the tape last summer. But when you start to really dig into his tape this year, even though it didn't come in the biggest games, I will say that, a couple moments here or there, but most of his best second reaction plays, most of his his best throws in terms of the whole year weren't against the best of competition. But take that out of the consideration for right now. I think he's got ability to make those plays that I think are so critical at the next level. We saw Patrick Mahomes just last weekend win another Super Bowl. If you can make second reaction plays, if you can make, if you can play off structure, I don't think you have much of a chance to be a top, top level quarterback at the National Football League anymore. I just don't think so. O-line play collectively is down. I don't think that's going to be a massive shift back the other way. Defenses are more advanced. Defensive coordinators are are coming up with new schemes and ways to confuse quarterbacks and get after the quarterback and blitzes from all over, et cetera, et cetera. So the J.J. McCarthy aspect is we know he has the raw traits. We know he has the athleticism. And I think I undersold his ability to play off structure, his ability to make second reaction plays, throw on the run, which I think is critical to be successful at the next level. So when you add that all together, I understand the buzz. I understand the first round hype. I think he deserves to go somewhere in round one. But I do think I'm a little bit more, like I mentioned where Dame Brugler had him. I don't have a collective big board for all positions, just offense of skill guys. But I think if I had a collective big board, to me, he's more of a late teens to late round one type quarterback. I still have questions about him in the top 10. I still think there's more uncertainty with J.J. McCarthy. Now, maybe that uncertainty by the team, by teams in the league is gone once they meet with him, once they talk to people at Michigan. But from the outside perspective, there's still some pushback for me. Because I've never seen a top top-level quarterback prospect be asked to do less in big games and in big moments than J.J. McCarthy. And you can make the case that it's because Michigan's run game is great, Jim Harbaugh's philosophy, ground and pound, good defense. But if you have a top-flight quarterback, if you have a quarterback that he came out on the record and said he thinks J.J. McCarthy should be the first quarterback taken, and he even claims that he thinks he will be the first quarterback taken— once teams get to know J.J. McCarthy, don't think that's happening, but who knows. If you really believe that, why would you not utilize him to be the focal point of your offense? Because you because your run, run game is good? If he was so special in terms of his processing ability, in terms of his makeup, in terms of his ability and his talent level, why was he not the focal point of that offense? Sorry, they didn't have receivers. Roman Wilson's a stud. Why, in big games, did they almost want to hide J.J. McCarthy 
and not let him be the focal point of the game. They made play calling decisions that was like hiding him because they were thought it looked like they thought that he was going to make a mistake. San Francisco does a great job playing to Brock Purdy's strengths and not asking him to do more than he can. J.J. McCarthy's physical ability is far superior to Brock Purdy. It's not even questioned. But if you watch Michigan in their big games, it sure seems like they go out of their way to say, we want J.J. McCarthy to do as little as possible, and we want to put as little on his plate as possible in these big games. And to me, that's the one big red flag. I don't care about stats. If anyone's been listening to this show long enough knows, I could care less about college statistics. They are irrelevant. They are meaningless in the grand scheme of whether or not somebody transitions to the National Football League. And that was my biggest argument about Josh Allen. But Josh Allen made a lot of mistakes and a lot of poor decisions at times when he was asked to do too much. And I was able to decipher that and see the special traits of why I love Josh Allen and why me and Sig Bloom and Nick Whalen and others watched him and said, we love this kid. We don't care about the statistics. With J.J. McCarthy, he was set up to be great. He was set up in a position that he could have been the focal point of the offense. Maybe Michigan wouldn't have had some of these close wins if they played a different style. Is that J.J. McCarthy and they're not trusting him? Is that Jim Harbaugh and is just philosophy? I think that's the question mark. So I'd, I'd have a lot of questions for Jim Harbaugh. Now, he's busy as the coach of the Chargers. I don't know how much he's going to share with other teams, but I'd want to pick the brain of the offensive coordinators. I'd want to pick the brains of other Michigan coaches. Why was he so minimized in big games if he's this special of a prospect? That's my question. Because in the NFL level, you're not, you shouldn't be drafting a guy in round one anymore. If you don't think they could be special and you don't think they could be the focal point of your offense and can compete with guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and those guys in big games and in big moments and basically could be for your franchise what C.J. Stroud was to the Texans. So to me, it's weird because if you had that special player, I don't see why you wouldn't want him to be your identity on offense. You shouldn't be looking for Daniel Jones in round one anymore. You shouldn't be looking for Mac Jones. You shouldn't be looking for Kenny Pickett. Trey Lance is going to be a bust, right? Unless he somehow has a second win, second trajectory to his career after he's barely played. But I understood San Francisco making that bold move. Because he had these raw physical traits to be this elite playmaker, which is what you need at the next level. Don't take a guy who you think could be a good game manager in round one. Don't even take a guy who you think could be a good starter. You're taking somebody in the top five, top 10, top 12. You better think they could be great. You better think they could be the focal point of the offense. And if you don't think that, and you just think they could be good or an above-average starter, you're spinning your wheels and you're wasting a draft pick. And I've seen the Giants do it. I've seen the Patriots do it. I've seen the Steelers do it. 
all recently. There was nothing about those guys and their those quarterbacks and their traits that screamed difference-making special prospect who we think can materialize into a high-level player. Tell me you want to take Daniel, Daniel Jones type in round two? Great. Kenny Pickett type round two? Great. Mac Jones type round two? Great. But you got to start being smarter about round one. And I think this year we'll see Bo Nix and Michael Panix go round two. Maybe Bo Nix goes round one. Wouldn't I think Michael Panix, the lack of second reaction plays, the lack of improv- improvising, the injury concerns, I think he's going to go round two. He's a unique case with all the injuries. That game against Texas was special. The game against Michigan brought him back. We've talked about that. Not going to go down that path. But the J.J. McCarthy thing is interesting because a lot of people have chimed in over the last couple of weeks and his stock could be as high as I've ever seen somebody rising so fast. And if he carries that momentum, he's going to be a top 10 pick. The question is, does he go ahead of Drake May? Does he go ahead of Jaden Daniels? I think that's where the question now lies. And I think that's now the interesting aspect of the early portion of the NFL draft when we're talking about the quarterback position. Some other things of note. There's been a little bit of buzz that maybe the Patriots would be open for business about trading down, getting a haul, because if Chicago's locked into a quarterback at one, which I think they are, they're going to move Justin Fields. If Chicago's locked in for a quarterback, if Washington's locked in for a quarterback, I think New England might be the first real spot. Is it because maybe they're thinking veteran quarterback like her cousin? Maybe they're taking a little bit of a long approach and and thinking about, listen, we have a lot of needs. If we're the first pick that's up for grabs and a team wants to come up and get one of the the three quarterbacks left or is in love with J.J. McCarthy, we might be able to get back a haul. Multiple firsts, multiple day two picks from a team, whether it's the Giants coming from six, whether it's Atlanta coming from eight, whether it's Minnesota or Denver coming from the early teens. So there's been a little bit of buzz about New England, and I could see it. I think it makes sense. It makes sense in some regards if they go the veteran round and get a Kirk Cousins. It makes sense if they are playing a little bit more of the long game and say, we're not ready to plop a rookie quarterback in this environment. We got to rebuild everything right now. And they might take a little bit longer of approach. That's kind of the next big storyline. Kirk Cousins is an interesting domino. Because if he doesn't go back to Minnesota, Minnesota seems really invested in getting a rookie quarterback. So if he doesn't go there... Where does Kirk Cousins end up? You start going for the teams, maybe Atlanta, but then they're out of the they're out of the, the market for a quarterback in the top ten. If he goes back to Minnesota, they're out of the quarterback market at twelve. I don't think Denver, after the Russell Wilson thing, they're looking for a veteran. So I don't think they're in the mix. New England, maybe. So if Kirk Cousins ends up in New England, Atlanta, or Minnesota, or back in Minnesota, 
it changes the top 12 of the NFL draft considerably in terms of teams that might be looking to move up or how the Patriots play it. So he's a very interesting domino. The other interesting domino is where does Justin Fields go? Right now, the Steelers are the betting favorite. Makes a lot of sense in Pittsburgh. He's a big upgrade over Kenny Pickett. They got an interesting skill group there. I think he would mesh well with Mike Tomlin. Atlanta's been the other team that we've heard some intrigue with and Justin Fields. So where does that leave? It's another domino. Because if Kirk Cousins goes back to Minnesota, they're off the board for a quarterback. If Justin Fields goes to Atlanta, they're off the board. So now all of a sudden you're talking about, yeah, we know the three teams at the top could use quarterbacks. But then we're talking about the Giants are the next team and then the Broncos. Does someone come from further back to come up? Who knows? So Cousins and Fields, I think, carry significant weight of how the top 12, 13 could play itself out. Because we have about, if you think about the first three teams, the Giants, Atlanta, Minnesota, and Denver. Okay, so the first three team, the first three teams picking Chicago, Washington, New England, Giants four, Atlanta five, Minnesota six, Denver seven. Those seven teams could be looking quarterback. If we if we believe the JJ McCarthy buzz with the other three rookies, that's four spots right there. Justin Fields is five. Kirk Cousins is six. Who is the team left in the game of musical chairs without a quarterback? Is it a team like the Giants and they just run it back with Daniel Jones? Not a great plan, but I could see it. Is it is it a team like Minnesota or Atlanta left standing without a guy? Is Russell Wilson an answer to one of those teams that I just mentioned that I think in the top 13 or so picks, seven of them could be looking quarter for some of that. Seven of them probably need, you know, a quarterback on the roster. And then we still have Pittsburgh lingering a little later on, right? So what team or teams in the, in the first round is kind of left empty handed? And are those the teams that then look at guys like Bo Nix and Michael Panix? maybe somewhere early on round two. Really interesting to kind of, to see how this plays out. Justin Fields, I think, will be the first domino. Kirk Cousins will be the second domino. Then we'll see what the contract for Russell Wilson looks like in free agency, if that's the third domino, before we then see the draft. I think that's kind of how this is going to play itself out here. Some other interesting rumors and news in terms of the draft. A lot of people seem to have Malik Neighbors really closing in on Marvin Harrison Jr., and I get why. In 99% of drafts, Malik Neighbors is your first wide receiver taken. This just happens to have one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver prospect maybe of all time in Marvin Harrison Jr., or one of the best, right? We've had a lot of really great ones, right? Calvin Johnson's a freak. Jabbar Chase. Marvin Harrison's right there. I think Marvin Harrison's considered even a better prospect than Jamar Chase was. So he's one of the best wide receiver prospects ever. 
And then you have Malik Neighbors, who, as good as the classes have been lately, besides Jamar Chase, I think he would be higher than any other wide receiver I've graded since I've been doing Saturday, Sunday, not named Marvin Harrison. So since I've been doing Saturday, Sunday, which we're going on, whatever, seven, eight years now, I would say it's Jamar Chase and Marvin Harrison, one, two, in some order, probably Marvin one, Jamar Chase two, and then Malik Neighbors right there, three. He's close. So when people say Malik Neighbors is right there, a 1A, 1B situation with Marvin Harrison Jr., I see it. He's a special, special player. So it's going to be interesting. I don't. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. will go first. Does Malik Neighbors go right after him, I think is the, the question mark. Is there a team that has Neighbors ahead of Marvin Harrison? I don't think it's crazy. I don't know if that team's going to be in the position to pick them, so we might never know. The only way we would know definitively is if a team in the top six or so takes Malik Neighbors when Marvin Harrison Jr. is still on the board. I don't see any scenario where Harrison Neighbors aren't gone in the first six picks. With New England, maybe at three. But if not New England, even if that's a, a quarterback or a trade-up for a quarterback, you still got four then. The Cardinals would take one of them. The Chargers might take one of them. The Giants might take one of them. Is there a scenario that maybe neighbors could fall to nine if four if JJ McCarthy goes and four quarterbacks go and Marvin Harrison and then teams and then maybe some O line needy teams go O line? Yeah, maybe. But I still think the odds are high that neighbors go somewhere in the four to six range. And Odunze is like in the six to nine range, based on how things play itself out. With a little overlap there. Neighbors four to six. Odunze six to nine. The Giants kind of being the wild card there, where if they can't get their hands on a quarterback, I don't see wide receiver not being the play. High level prospect. Position of need. Round out the wide receiver room. Would complement Wandell Robinson and Jalen Hyatt well. So I think I think that's where we're looking in terms of neighbors and Odunze and Harrison. I would say his range is like pick three to pick four. I don't see him getting past one of those two picks. Some other buzz. Dame Brugler came out one of the one of the best, if not the best, in the business when it comes to draft stuff with his updated top one hundred. Couple of things that really stood out from the skill position group. At the the running back position, well, he didn't have anybody in his top sixty nine running backs. From pick seventy to pick ninety two, he had seven guys. He had Jonathan Brooks, Blake Corum, Braylon Allen, Bucky Irvin, Audrey Kasim, Jalen Wright, Trey Benson. Kind of goes in line with what I've been saying. And there's no way seven running backs are going in the top one hundred. And I think Dane knows that too, if we had him on the show and said do you think seven running backs are going to come off the board in round three or on day two? I think he would say definitively no. So I think a bunch of those guys will fall to round four. But I think what it shows you is what I've been kind of alluding to for the last month or two, which is this is a very, very weak running back class. And there is not a lot of differentiation with the top guy. 
Maybe if Jonathan Brooks was fully healthy, maybe he's a lock to be number one. I think the wild card with the injury will, will mix things up. Only one year of really seeing him play. Some teams might like Blake Corum. Some teams might, might like Braylon Allen. Some teams might like Trey Benson. Some teams might love Jonathan Brooks. Then if you're looking for a guy to be a part of a committee, maybe it's Audrick Esteem if you want that tough physical power guy. Maybe it's Jalen Wright if you want a little bit of everything. Maybe it's Bucky Irvin if you want more of a change of pace, really good uh, pass-catching running back to add that type dynamicness to the backfield. So I thought it was interesting that he had that many because I don't even th- I didn't even ex- honestly I didn't expect to even see that many. I expected nobody in his top like sixty the first two rounds. I thought maybe there'd be a couple sneak into that like sixty four to one hundred range. Surprised to see this many, but I think they're all worthy of being there. I just think when push comes to shove, the sweet spot for running backs is going to be somewhere middle of round three, for through round five. So let's, the question will be how many go in that part of the draft and how many sneak into day two and fall to day three. Other interesting things in Dane's thing that I think is, is noteworthy to talk about at the tight end position, tight end three was the guy I talked a lot about leading into the Senior Bowl and in the recap show, Theo Johnson. Obviously, Brock Bowers, Jatavian Sanders, they're locked in round one for Bowers, round two for Jatavian Sanders, I think. But then I think it's a wild card. And I talked last week about Luke Shoemaker and Brenton Strange going on day two and being surprises. And I said, don't be surprised when Theo Johnson is a round three pick. He has him as his tight end three. He's my tight end for Theo Johnson. I think strong likelihood Theo Johnson and Cade Stover go somewhere on round three. And that might kind of be the end of it in terms of tight ends on, on the first top 100 picks. Maybe a team falls in love with Ben Sinnott. I think he's more of an early round four guy. Similar to where the Giants took Dane uh, uh, Bellinger a couple years ago. Right? Other guys at the tight end position that maybe could be early round four. Uh, Jaheim Bell. But I think a guy like Ben Sinnott of Kansas State is interesting. He reminds me a lot of Daniel Bellinger in terms of, like, his draft capital. Okay, the guy's not great at anything, but I think he's is, is good at, at a bunch of things. So I could see a guy like Sinnott, early round four, see a guy like Jaheim Bell, who reminds me a lot of Chico Conquo. Ray talked about the quarterbacks. The one interesting thing on Dane's list in terms of the quarterbacks is we already talked about who he had. He does have Spencer Rattler and Michael Pratt in his top 100. So he thinks they got a shot at round three. I could see Rattler. He's my seventh quarterback. I could see him late round three. I think he's more of an early round four. I'm not there with Michael Pratt. If I'm taking a flyer on the quarterback late, I'd rather be Jordan Travis. I'd rather be Joe Milton. But Michael Pratt for me is more of like a round five guy. But it's interesting that Dane has him there at pick one as not pick at uh, his one hundred prospect right now. So I think that means he thinks he's worthy of a, of a round three pick, and that's interesting to see that. And at the wide receiver position, I don't think there's a lot of surprises here. He has seventeen guys in his top one hundred, and I think that makes complete sense because. 
I think 16 of them are locks to go in the top 100. His 17th wide receiver right near the end of his top 100 is Brendan Rice, Jerry Rice's son at the USC. But a good senior bowl, not a great senior bowl, but a good senior bowl week from reports and what we saw. But before that, I think they're all going. So I don't think there was a lot of surprises. The way people are going to have these guys ranked from like wide receiver five through like wide receiver 15 or 16 is going to be all jumbled together. I don't think there's a lot that stood out there. I think the things that stood out were the tight ends, Theo Johnson, Spencer Rattler and Michael Pratt being in his top 100, and then seven running backs, but all bunched together from his 70th overall player to like his 97th overall player. So not a lot of differentiation there in the running backs. Nobody worthy in his mind of a second round pick at least. Definitely not first round. And I think some of those guys will fall to day three for sure. So there it is, guys. Some detailed discussion on J.J. McCarthy and some other draft nuggets and draft rumors that would be interesting. Hoping to do one more show before the Combine preview. If I get a chance, I'm going to record. I'm taking a family vacation. If I get a chance to record, I'm going to do the quarterback tier show and start Tier Buster Series. Then we'll do the Combine preview, then all the Combine recap shows. And then after the Combine, we'll go back to the Tier Buster shows. Because I kind of want to see the Combine and, and, and the testing to kind of help settle some ties break some clear up some groups for me and and re-rankings and tiers so I I feel like that might be helpful for the running backs the wide receivers and the tight ends nothing from the combine is going to make me really adjust my quarterback stuff over time I watch more film maybe sure I I tinker a little bit with my quarterback tiers and my quarterback rankings but I don't think it's going to be anything from the combine that's really going to make me alter what my quarterback tiers look like. So I might record the, uh, the quarterback tier buster show and then kind of set the stage for the combine, all the combine recap shows before we finish up the tier buster series post combine this year. If you're enjoying this content, guys, please get over to the website, rate, review, subscribe, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. But again, at SS football, fastest and easiest way to get to the website Check out our premium content tab, and for $9.99, you get access to all of our notebooks. The scouting notebook, almost 100 detailed scouting profiles. Still got a bunch to add in there, others to update. Probably post-combine on that. The rankings notebook, all our different rankings. I just started working on the tiers in there as well. And then in April, the draft projections notebook as well. Tabs for every position, offense and defense. Snapshot of how they win strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, NFL role, fantasy spin, scheme fit, stuff like that. Get all of it for $9.99. Best way to support the show and help us continue to do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday. So, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.